Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe Weekly Podcast. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble. The podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it is me, Mark, the Funky Bunch, and welcome to episode 221 of Talking Joe, the best and longest-running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. This is another of our continuing looks at the G.I. Joe disavowed era, the Devil's Due Run, and today we are talking about issue 16, a one-parter called The Family from Devil's Due in 2003. If you're new to the show, you can find all of the details over at the website talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, without further ado, let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, it's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. It's good to be with you. Yeah, stop sucking up, Tim. It's uh, You're showing me up again. I'm so <laughs> glad all of our listeners are here for Mark and me. It's great. Yeah, you're their favorite. Yeah, we know. Get on with it. Okay. Rounding out our crew, it's G.I.J., it's Jake Audrey. Hello, Joe fans. Man, it feels like forever since I've talked to you guys. How have you been? <laughs> it's it's been, it's been quite a week, quite a couple of days. Things have happened in the world, yes. in our own lives, with G.I. Joe. Things have happened. Things have yeah. happened. Who would have known about that? Who would have guessed about that asteroid? <laughs> Crikey. But I'm so glad that Star Brigade was able to stop it in time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, um, thank you, thank you. The the thing I was going to mention before we get get into it is um, this beautiful volume that just came out um, just very recently, G.I. Joe World on Fire by Paul Allure and most of the art by his, by his uh, art po- um, partner, Chris Evanhouse, with various other guest, pre- uh, guest artists. And um, yeah, so it's a 10-issue collection uh, wrapping up uh, this, this new continuity of G.I. Joe, and it's... Uh, yeah, handsomely presented all in uh, one volume, which I find very uh, satisfying to, to see that uh, printed in, in uh, one go. Let's let's not let's sort of go into all of the details because we could talk about it at some point in the future. But um, yeah, good to see that co- collected uh, all in one go. G- uh, Tim, sort of headline uh, feelings. I'm, I'm presuming you've you've been collecting and reading this as, as it's been coming out. I have all of the issues and I've read the first three and ah. uh, I like it. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to reading them all. I feel a certain urgency in finishing the series now that the book is out and more people will be catching up with it. Also, Diana Davis, Joe fan, uh, friend from the internet and conventions, and also 
consultant on uh, G.I. Joe Comics for IDW is a big proponent of this series, and I take that recommendation seriously. And I would say very specifically, Mark, that we'll do an episode or several on this series in the future. Excellent. Look forward to it. It's uh... not a promise. It's a threat. (laughs) It's a threat. And uh, yeah, what's I guess what's what's nice about it is that it is its own thing, and it's not it's not so much in the the shadow of what's come before in terms of different because it's different um, continuities because it is very much its own continuity trying to be its uh, own own thing, and and possibly what's happened with some of the other continuities is they they have had this shadow of what's come come on come before them, even the, the IDW Chuck Dixon universe. You know, has steered very close to to the uh, you know Ara Hammer universe at times. So it's it's there's not always a huge amount that separates them. But uh, but yeah, this is very much its own thing. So uh, yeah, an interesting take. Uh, but we weren't here to to, to talk about uh, that. We were here to talk about Devil's Due issue sixteen. We're gonna talk about coming from Devil's Due. It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. So, creative team. Uh, story Josh Blaylock pencils Tim Seeley. So, uh, first full issue from Tim Seeley, who becomes the regular pencil penciler with i think issue 24 uh inks Cor- Corey hampshire colors hi-fi design letters dreamer design copy edits scott whirl graphic design mike norton military consultation tim ever uh and uh let's go on and see what adorns the front of these books let's have a look at the covers in the gallery <laughs> to this issue number 16 is by Francis Manipal and Corey Hampshire uh, presumably doing the inks but I think he's a, a a penciler in his own right as well um so we've got uh cover girl on the front so yeah so we've got a, a young lad sat down cross-legged uh, drawing with some crea- crayola and then uh, behind him we've very confusingly got a uh, snake eyes with uh, long black hair just over his shoulder looking at a bit of paper i don't know what's uh, what's going on oh no it's uh it's spirit that's what it is uh, spirit in his black uh, outfit in his snake um, eyes cosplay <laughs> in his snake eyes cosplay um i mean i think it's i'm i'm a bit i'm a fan of um i'm a fan of uh Francis Manipal, um, generally, I think he's got he's got a, f- a good flair for for design. So I think it is an interesting and striking uh, cover. Um, what do you guys think? I, I also like Francis Manipal's GI Joe work. He's an artist who, um, particularly after his three covers for uh, GI Joe Declassified, the miniseries that tells the story before issue number one of the Marvel run. I always wanted him to come back and draw a full issue. His his artwork looks like, and and I mean this as a compliment, the sort of hot, you know, post post Jim Lee hot comics style of uh, the late '90s and early 2000s. 
though you know he may have some influences beyond you know, Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri and um, so I like the drawing in terms of the story that this tells and the sort of question that it poses or the sort of puzzle that it teases this cover has always been lacking for me because we can't see what the kid is drawing on the paper and several sheets are blowing in the wind and he's torn several off uh, that are in front of him in the grass and spirit is holding one and spirit seems a little concerned or like he's concentrating looking at this piece of paper but whatever's drawn in it it's you know it's on the other side we can't see it and uh sort of there's there's sort of there's no danger uh a question is being asked but i don't know what the question is and so i don't know what the answer might be and uh i don't know sort of how worried i should be and i'm i'm not engaged i can understand that um and I kind of agree in a way, this whole issue is it's a weird um, when Mark and I were talking about this earlier, you know, we, we'll, we'll kind of discuss this a little bit in, in toy talk later. Uh, there's a lot of mystery here. I mean, it's it's the whole thing is setting up a mystery. And so you're we're getting with one issue here, you know, the opening chapter. So it's really hard to judge any of it, I feel like um, the cover. Yeah, the cover doesn't exactly represent what happens in the issue. It, it's you know, it hits all the main elements, uh, except there's no snake eyes, uh, you know, cover girls there, um, spirits there. One kid is there. Uh, there's a scene in here where he's drawing with crayons. We have the drawings. Uh, but but again, I mean, it's like I'm not sure what kind of cover you would create to um to represent this story i do so yeah i mean with with the fact that there is just so much mystery set up and unresolved here i'm i'm not sure what i would expect or what i would want this cover to be as as far as a drawing goes i think it's a good it's a good enough drawing i don't the, the kid is kind of exaggerated in a lot of ways that i don't necessarily mm -hmm. like uh there's a book called i think it was creed and the artist was trent zaniga and he did like really, really exaggerated, uh, like kids had real big tennis shoes and, and like bell bottoms almost, but they weren't like supposed to be bell bottoms necessarily. It was just an exaggerated drawing. And I feel like that's kind of what this kid looks like. Um, almost like the cover that Todd McFarlane did for a corn album called uh, follow the leader it, it, kind of in, in that style. I don't really, like that i don't like that kind of exaggeration for gi joe especially when you put it in front of two joes that are um really detailed and really like look at uh spirits abs i mean that's there's yeah there's exaggeration in that okay a really muscled guy even if he puts on that kind of shirt's not going to cling to him but you see that in every in, in every kind of comic so that's not uh, out of the ordinary it's not um it's not playing with proportion the way that uh, like the drawing of this kid speaks to me or, or like um, Zaniga's artwork. Um, I think that was the name. I, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent. If I'm, if I'm wrong, hopefully somebody will, will correct me. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's just a lot of questions about, about the, the story, where the story is going to go. I was really high on the story in the last two parts and 
I will say before we get into this too much, um, this is probably the first issue that we've read uh, of the series that makes me want to really pick up the next issue and see what's going to happen next. Mm. Um, Interesting. Now, I haven't read any before, and, and that was kind of something that, you know, when, when we started doing this, um, like I've said, I haven't read these, so coming into these is, is all new to me, and I, I've decided not to read it all ahead. You know, I'm just reading them week to week, so I'm not going to know what's, what happens beyond this until the next episode. But I'm really curious where we go from here. But, Jay, it looked like, it looked like you threw down the gauntlet of, of a challenge there, not, not knowing what the cover should be, and it sounds like Tim is picking up that gauntlet um, and yes. scrutinizing it. Yeah, I can I can very clearly imagine a dynamic chase scene with a van or an SUV drawn by Mike Zek for this issue, had this issue happened in the 80s, where one or two of these Joes is trying to stop the vehicular kidnapping of either this one kid or the two kids who look alike. Uh, what what this cover is is slow and quiet and a lot of this issue is slow and quiet just some joes doing some investigating and a, a quick chat uh inside the government but there is an action scene at the end and in an action comic i think that would be what you accentuate on the cover yeah like picture the the cover from i'm not sure what issue it was one of the earlier ones maybe 12 where um, there was a Joe on a motorcycle and I think major blood was mm. like hanging out of a door of a bus or a van or something like that. And they were kind of like, you know, fighting on the street and it was a very, very kinetic. Um, yeah. It was an action packed cover and definitely you could have done something uh, with this. You're right. This is a much more contemplative cover. So like I said, it's, it's weird. It's just a, a weird issue. It's a weird spot for where's the series going from here. You make a good point about the sort of inconsistency or the different rules for the cover where Covergirl and Spirit are drawn more realistically and the kid is drawn more cartoony, right? There is that, you know, it's like Humberto Ramos and Joe Matarera mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Ed McGinnis, right, in comics in the mid-90s and late-90s are bringing in a lot of influences from Japanese comics in how they exaggerate mm-hmm. eyes and proportions and... Um, I'm, I'm seeing some J. Scott Campbell here in Francis Menopole's approach to anatomy, both for the more realistic humans uh, and also for the more cartoony uh, human. Um, Mark, you want to talk about the cover or you want to jump into the issue? Um, I was just going to note on the back, we've got Spirit again from David Michael Beck. Um, something sort of slightly strange is happening with this composition because we are kind of looking down um, kind of almost over his shoulder and seeing some footprints on the on the ground but then to the, you know on the top top half of the illustration the background is the sort of mountains behind him and a, and a sky um so i think it, something a little bit strange is is happening uh, you're saying sometimes. the perspective isn't consistent because we're looking mm. down in the bottom half of the drawing but we're looking up in the top half of the drawing oh i got you yeah it's almost um, with the Mindbender cover from a few issues ago where there was a like a fish eyed. I do like how um, I do like how how 
um, even though there's a muted quality to David Michael Beck's use of color, you know, like things aren't bright in his covers. They're, 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 they're dim, they're hazy, they're sandy. Um, I do like that he, he has a dominant color, you know, so in the previous, you know, that's two issues ago, it's all that sort of beige and brown for Roadblock and all the just red or blue of the Crimson Guard. And here it's just all green, you know, like it, it's a choice to paint the night sky green and mm, yeah. it totally works here. I don't, I don't question it. It doesn't seem like a mistake. It doesn't seem like too arty. And that green carries over into the, what, what in reality would be his black costume, but in this lighting is a dark and muted green. And then you have a lot of green in the sand or dirt or rocks below him, which, you know, sand and rocks and dirt aren't green. Um, so I, I really like the color work here, even if, uh, yeah, the perspective is a little, a little confusing. Okay, cool. Let's uh, dig on into the issue. Jay, do you have a plot breakdown for us? In Redding, California, a young autistic boy is kidnapped from his elementary school in broad daylight. Courtney Krieger, aka Covergirl, is called to the Joe's new underground base in Arizona. There she is briefed on the boy's kidnapping by Flint. Flint tells Covergirl to go with Snake Eyes and Spirit to investigate. Covergirl questions why the Joes are investigating a kidnap, kidnapping and is told the order is need to know, so need to know in fact that even Flint does not know why. The Joes travel to California to speak to the boy's adopted parents. His parents tell them that the boy, Julius, has always been different, special. His mother says he's always been interested in history, politics, and science. Snake Eyes notices a strange drawing on the boy's desk and takes it with him. Firewall contacts the Joes and informs them of another attempted kidnapping of an autistic boy by a perp matching the same description as their suspect in nearby Oregon. She sends them a photo of the attempted victim and it's identical to Julius. The Joes travel to Oregon and find similar strange drawing in the second child's room. The boy's father tells the Joes he received a phone call from the second boy's mother, a phone call that was abruptly cut off by the woman's screams. The Joes trace the call and catch up to the kidnapper and his two young victims. The mysterious man bests the Joes in hand-to-hand -hand combat and the boys leave with him willingly. As the Joes are scratching their heads, the kidnapper takes the boys to a secluded house in the wilderness and delivers them to Dr. Mindbender. How do you guys feel about Tim Seeley as, as fill-in artist and upcoming regular series artist? I, I like him. He's, um, I think, uh, yeah, in a nutshell, <laughs> I, I think he's got very strong storytelling chops. I think his figure work and, and the you know backgrounds and everything else, um, uh, it looks nice and very competent. Um, I like that he's got some specific kind of quirks that he brings to, to particular characters. So I like the way that uh, uh, Spirit has perpetually kind of squinted eyes where you can't. It's basically drawn as a, a solid line, much like... Uh, Captain Marvel from from DC Shazam, Shazam is is often uh, drawn. It's it's not necessarily the flashiest style, um, but but I think it's um I think there's some you know solid uh, chop art chops there. And I uh, yeah I remember being pleased at the time and and uh, and being uh, happy beyond that with um, the rest of uh, his body of of work. I thought it was very solid. Seely's pretty good. Um... I don't have a whole lot of complaints with this. 
am disappointed that Bedo is not doing the artwork. I was really high on his art in our last episode. I thought that just his um, his use of camera positioning and lighting, um, his figure work was really strong. I thought a lot of spots he really showed a good foundation uh, for for figure and, and storytelling. Um, Seely at this point, I don't think is as strong with a lot of those points. So I think that there's uh, you know, it's it's for me, it's kind of a drop from from that mm-hmm. issue to this one. That said, I mean, it still if, looks better than the reinstated arc, uh, and and yeah. definitely more appealing than um, malfunction. So I'm not sure who's coming up next. Like I said, I really haven't looked even to the next episode or next issue, so I don't know what we've got coming up. So um, Bado returns as the main artist on the book from oh good. issue seventeen up till about twenty three. So so he does most oh nice. of the next few few issues, and then Seely takes on as the uh, comes on as the the main recurring uh, artist. And yeah, I think at this point in time, Seely is is very new and inexperienced, so not with a huge amount of. Um, um, comic uh, published comic art under under his belt and you might remember from the f- sort of the facts that i was giving at the in the mm-hmm. first couple of episodes that i think that he turned down the opportunity to to come onto the book as the artist for for the for the initial arc um so we're probably we're what, two two or so years on from that point um here so he's got a little bit more experience in, under his belt but yeah still a, a new and learning uh learning artist yeah well, I don't like this art. <laughs> oh, no. just wrote with artistic collaborators his creator-owned book hack slash and um that's that's a novel concept as a as a horror comic it's not for me but i think it's a cool concept and when it got optioned a bunch of years ago i thought yeah that's clearly that could be a movie or a tv show um and uh he's written a lot for dc he wrote uh grayson or he co-wrote it which was the dick grayson sort of post nightwing series and he wrote a bunch of batman um and i i think it's really impressive to go from a creator-owned book to drawing gi joe to writing batman his art his storytelling is clear and it's solid as as mark says his figure work right he can he can draw you know clothes and faces and and um and action there is a 
there is a straight up and down and a straight left and right quality to so much of what he draws. And I don't have a great way to explain this, but uh, I'm going to... Camera gonna positioning. That's where I thought well, that Badeau was stronger. Okay, so uh, yes, thank you. That's some of it. Um, some of it is character poses. Some of it is camera positioning. Again, these are comics. Mm-hmm. There's no cameras. We're using right, a right. movie term. But Steely will often draw in one-point perspective or a very boring two-point perspective when a more dynamic two-point perspective or a little bit of three-point perspective would make the scene much more interesting. And he can draw in three-point perspective because he does so on page two in the middle the middle panel where we're looking down at the teacher and the kids. That's three-point perspective. It's not amazing, but he does it. Uh, he's often posing his characters straight up and down, and he's often composing elements of his background, like where one wall meets another and you have a vertical line or a doorway or a couch. Those are all straight up and down lines. And that means it's one point perspective or a very boring two point perspective. And I think if I, if I wasn't using art terms, if I didn't, I, in the back of my mind, I would find something about the storytelling and the character poses to be unadorned and not quite flat, but boring. And there are artists, like, I've always sort of seen a relationship, and this is just me, between Tim Seeley's work and Ron Lim's work. And Ron Lim has a certain uh, unadorned, basic, a certain flatness to his work in the last 10, 20 years, right? Mostly covers and some storybooks for Marvel. He doesn't really draw interiors anymore. But he had this really long run on Silver Surfer. And of course, he did most of the Infinity Trilogy for Marvel. And there's something that's that's more dynamic and volumetric about his work, uh, particularly with the right anchor. And I think of Ron Lim in terms of G.I. Joe, because he did a tiny bit of later Devil's Do work. And he also did those four pages for the bench press pitch that never got published before this series started. What I'm seeing in what I'm seeing in Tim Seeley is an artist who learned to draw comics by looking at comics, not who learned to draw by looking at things, mm-hmm. right? His trees, his houses, his cars, they all if you squint, they look like trees and houses and cars. But if you actually look at the cars in this issue, they're not drawn well. They're, they're just drawn almost adequately. And uh, I see this in his faces where every face, like it's not even like he's doing, I mean, I see a lot of J. Scott Campbell, but I'm seeing like Roger Cruz, but I'm seeing Roger Cruz doing Joe Matarera, right? I'm not seeing J. Scott Campbell. I'm seeing Al Rio doing J. Scott Campbell because Al Rio like filled in on Gen 13 when J. Scott Campbell wasn't drawing some issues before he came back for his final issue. I'm seeing a third or fourth generation, like this is what comics look like in 2003 style. And I find it really boring and unappealing. Um, Nothing's ugly, nothing's like bad, but like, you know, how Snake Eyes is like running after uh, the kid, when the kid gets kidnapped, when he's running after, you know, the car takes off and someone's yelling, there he is heading back for the van. And Snake Eyes coming, it's coming at us, right? Like clearly Seeley is just looking at J. Scott Campbell's earlier G.I. Joe covers and sort of drawing that Snake Eyes. But like, 
that pose is just running straight at us. Like there's nothing interesting or dynamic. There's no flair. And uh, the one last thing I'll say about Sealy is... There is a flare is, immediately behind Snake Eyes. Ha, know. thank you. There's, there's, a, there's a light flare, a lens flare. The one last thing I'll say about Sealy is very last page of this comic book facing the inside back cover is an ad for another image series called Core with a K, and it's penciled by Tim Seeley. And if you go back two issues of G.I. Joe, right, to our previous episode for all you Talking Joe uh, listeners, that issue had a three or four page, one, two, three, four, a five page preview of Core, and it the credits weren't listed, but this has got to be the same Core, right, K-O-R-E, and it's a team, looks kind of like G.I. Joe or Cobra, and they're crashing through a window and there's some action stuff and it's just all very boring and it again it looks like someone who learned to draw comics not by drawing real trees and real people and real faces and real hands and real rooms but trees as they are drawn in comics and costumes and people as they're drawn in comics yep i think you hit it dead on uh like i said he's you know he's not a bad artist he just is a young artist and Mm -hmm. inexperienced so I'll, I'll I'll cut him a lot of slack for slack for that. But like you said in an earlier episode too, Tim, this is GI Joe, you know. And if your if your artist is not, his A game needs to be up to the property. Yeah. All right, let's get into the story. <laughs> okay. In terms of the in terms of the story, I was getting big X Files vibes. So we've got a small team, um, mostly Spirit and Cover Girl with with Snake Eyes there in the background too. Uh, kind of in the uh, uh, Mulder and Scully vein. And um, yeah, it felt like a kind of different uh, vibe to a, a kind of typical G.I. Joe story or or book where they're kind of investigating a mystery, really, which isn't, isn't I, can't, I can't think of too many obvious parallels to other similar G.I. Joe stories. And they're checking in with local law enforcement and interviewing uh, victims or or witnesses they're like going down the list of how you investigate yeah and it's total x-files though like like mark said you definitely get that vibe you know and like i said when we were talking about the cover it's it's the very beginning of a mystery so you're there's a there's a lot of unanswered questions can i go back to the cover for a second because i have a different approach uh, thank you jay for saying that because um, it just gave me an idea the other way that you would enhance this cover is you'd keep the image as it is and you would go retro or old school and you'd have some copy, you know, like like cover girl and spirit investigate the mystery of the kidnapped twin or like who is the like, let's. Yeah, nobody ever does that anymore. Very briefly, very briefly. Uh, it was like 2000, 2004 or 2006. There was like a five issue run on one of the Star Wars comics from Dark Horse where they decidedly did cover copy like it was 15 years earlier. So you you put a thing like an arrow box next to the kid and it's like, what is the mystery? Uh, Who is this mysterious child and how does he spell doom for G.I. Joe? It's like, (laughs) but you know, that's totally not cool and you don't do that in 2003. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it. And so in terms of the the story, we've got these um, two kids, Julius and Alexander, who are orphans and have mysteriously vanished and uh, being taken by uh, an older child in the in the skull sh- shirt, which I think um, 
one point um, Covergirl alludes to being uh, almost like a Punisher shirt, but he's kind of kind of cut off. She said pun dash. So so he kind of got this this mystery. I guess for both of you, this is probably um, the first time you're reading this issue. You know how how much of a sense of mystery of kind of going, what's going on here? Did you get or 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 kind of were the are the clues big enough that it's obvious? You know what the what these kids are all about. I don't entirely know what's going on. You said not to read uh, one of the characters' file cards, so I didn't. I did accidentally get a glimpse of it, so I have some idea where we're going. I don't know how we get there, but I think that it builds it really well. And, and once again, I I have to give uh, Blaylock props for his continued improvement as a storyteller. There's little missteps, but you're going to have that. Yeah, I, it, it really interests me. Uh, you know, like I said, this is the first one that I finished and I thought, what's going to happen next? And I was really curious to see what was going to happen next. And yeah, I, I got the same sort of vibe about it in terms of this mystery being built and thinking, hmm, this is an interesting story and this is one that hasn't been explored before in G.I. Joe. They are actually creating something brand new and it is quite intriguing and, and yeah, really getting that sense of curiosity as to where they're going to go go with it i think a good building block to, to to something that we don't quite know what it will be uh, as yet so i uh, have not read this issue before but i was paying attention as this series was getting published to all of the covers and in the catalogs you know i'd read some of the solicitations i was paying attention to who was drawing it a friend of mine was reading the series so i do know where this is going so in that regard it's not a surprise but uh, my, my recollection from then is that though where it's going, I don't really want them to go there. Uh, this, is, this is a fun way to get there. And it, it feels, you know, in keeping enough with G.I. Joe, certainly the version of G.I. Joe that's going to mix a little bit of the TV cartoon uh, with the comic. Okay, cool. And I mean, sort of laying it out a little bit for, for the audience, we've got um, Julius and alexander and is the is the elder child named in the issue is he go on unnamed i can't remember now at the very last page mindbender calls him hannibal okay so we've got julius alexander and hannibal so that's obviously an allusion to julius caesar alexander the great and hannibal off of the hannibal lecter off of the a-team <laughs> uh, we both went different mi- directions on that one all great very very good leaders. gentlemen very good. <laughs> thank, um, thank you or, or perhaps the carthaginian general and statesman who commanded carthage's main forces against the roman republic during the second punic war perhaps i don't know uh, that's less likely um so so i think the clues are there to be had in a fairly on on the nose I think if if you if you've read before the the Serpentor storyline, you'll you'll have an inkling that that having these um these names from uh, great military le- leaders in history um will will probably be no coincidence that it might be linked to to a Serpentor story. So I so I think most readers would be able to put those clues together pretty uh pretty rapidly and and, and figure figure out that. You know, these are the breadcrumbs that we are being uh, dropped for us by the by the writer. Now, Could. to their credit, though, hmm. like I said, I yeah, those those clues are there. But this is one of those rare times when I'm reading something and 
like you said, we kind of know where it's going, you know, with, without, you know, coming right out and saying it. Um, what I don't know is how it's going to get there. I don't know how these pieces fit. And that's always kind of interesting when you are reading something or, or watching a movie and, you know, it's not mm. spelled out for you. Yeah, so we've got the payoff is the last last page is that, that Hannibal, the, the elder child, has got these two uh, these two younger children who appear to be twin brothers or clones or something and um and and mindbender says ah hannibal you made it just as i knew you would and you have both of them now he will come to us Hmm, curious yeah another mysterious clue if blaylock wanted to withhold a little information this isn't a criticism this is just an idea if their names are telegraphing too much, sort of who they are or what they are, uh, maybe you know, call one of them Alex, not Alexander, one of them Jules, not Julius, and I guess Hanny for Hannibal. On. Yeah, there you go. There's a there's a scene in here that doesn't work for me, or it's sort of a half a scene. Mm-hmm. It's on page four. One, two, three, four. So. Uh, CoverGirl pulls up in a car in Arizona at this um, mm. roadside museum. And uh, this ends up being one of these new seven or eight sort of uh, spread out smaller G.I. Joe secret headquarters. And she sees Spirit and uh, they haven't seen each other in a while. So they have like a moment to recognize each other and be happy. And he says, uh, she says, um, How's it going? He says, as good as can be expected. I see you are as beautiful as ever. And she says, oh, I was just about to make a joke about how you're in this lovely little shack, uh, but now I'm all embarrassed. And then now they're inside and he, he's pointing past him over down a hallway to, to some doors. He says, perhaps we should continue our conversation elsewhere. We're on a tight schedule. She says, the janitor's closet? I didn't know it was that kind of meeting spirit. Um, I don't like this weird, flirty, inappropriate banter. Like... You know, G.I. Joe, you know, there was, you know, Destro and uh, Baroness, um, Flint and Lady J. Uh, there are uh, uh, Snake Eyes and, and Scarlet. There are little bits and indications of attraction and relationship and bonding. But we don't have, historically in G.I. Joe, like flirting or sort of like inappropriate flirting and jokes mm-hmm. and... Apart from maybe clutch. Mm-hmm. This dialogue here doesn't work for me at all. And I think what it's trying to do, particularly in the previous page, which is this like very 1995, 2000, 2003, like half page vertical panel. It's like, I have a skinny, attractive woman like walking towards the camera and I'm going to draw all of her. And, you know, she's not wearing a bikini or anything. Like, she's wearing her costume, but you know, she's drawn in a in an alluring and sexy way. Gorgeous. Um, and she, you know, she's taking her glasses off and she's not like <laughs> tussling her hair, but the the sun is behind her. And, you know, like the her shirt is a little bit unbuttoned and like the wind is kicking it up and you can see her 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 midriff, right? So like fine. Her midriff is exposed. <laughs> this character was a model before G.I. Joe, and in fact her codename reminds you this. So this is fine. Like CoverGirl's attractive. And I think that's what Spirit's dialogue is supposed to remind us of. Like, this isn't just any Joe. This is a very attractive Joe. But Spirit wouldn't say that. Spirit shouldn't say that. And her, like, 
joke back. Just doesn't feel like G.I. Joe. I mean, yeah, he's not. Spirit isn't Roger Moore, you know. It, I can like, see. It would work better with Clutch or Shipwreck. <laughs> yeah. He should just say, like, good to see you again. Yeah. On that splash where you can see her exposed midriff, there's also, a, you can make out the staples. Um, I think I could hear a tumbleweed go past then. I think the tumbleweed is behind her, behind her car in Arizona, <laughs> outside of outside of this Americana Museum. That's actually yeah, yeah. No, I, I spotted I spotted that whole sequence, and I thought, no, no, that that's the, not right. There are a couple other sort of writing moments, like writing and art moments, that don't quite work for me. So a couple pages later, this team of three Joes, Spirit. Uh, cover girl and snake eyes um, have gone to see the local uh, some local law enforcement to talk to a cop about you know one of these kidnapped kids and the cop is leaning casually against his own desk and he's turning towards this uh, very very attractive blonde with like very pretty like short model blonde hair and like very very cool designer expensive glasses or sunglasses and it took me a while to figure out that this is Snake Eyes. And the cop says, uh, Woo, that's a nasty nick you got across your face there. How'd that happen? Desert Storm? And then the next panel, because it's 2003 and Corey Hampshire is inking, I think, with a Micron pen, there are a bunch of lines on Snake Eyes' face. Like, just that style of inking, which, you know, this is not like John Romita on Spider-Man in the 70s. And this is not like Mike Mignola with like big sort of rocky blocks and chunks. This is like, I've got a pen and I'm gonna draw like little, little lines for the cheekbones and the forehead and the bridge of the nose. And so I actually don't see a nasty Nick on Snake Eyes' face here. I just see some lines. I, I, I honestly did not know to yeah. what scar or lines the art is referring. I appreciate the attempt here where Snake Eyes isn't talking back because he doesn't speak. And so the cop says from off panel, fine, don't tell me. But it's like, what? A couple yeah. pages later, uh, one page later, I can see, mm -hmm. I think the scar we're talking about, it's mm -hmm. still not entirely clear. And uh, on the bot bottom right hand, bottom right hand corner of that, that same first page, it kind of is a little bit more defined because there's fewer lines on his face. But okay, like between yes. Between the Inca and the colorist, I think that that scar really isn't kind of properly signaled to the to the reader. Yeah, when 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 Snake Eyes' face is uh, revealed by Mark Bright and Randy Emberlin in issue ninety three, his scars there's a thickness to them. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it's a, it's a misstep. Yeah, the, so this this scar is obviously the scar from Snake Eyes's uh, battle with Storm Shadow when when Storm Shadow slices his his mask and then he retaliates with a long burst on his his Uzi um um and so this uh, so that's that's where that that scar is from but it, it also kind of takes away any doubt as to kind of the status of Snake Eyes's face so you you, you remember when right you know, I was just going to say that few, 
yeah, in those first few issues, it was like, um, is has Snake Eyes has still got the damage? And when he was doing that proposal to Scarlet, and he just looked like a you know all American, uh, you know, blonde, blonde haired, haired hunk uh, with holding out the the ring. You know, was that his face? Was it his? Um, uh, was it a mask? So, so I think that clarifies in my mind the the mystery of the first few issues where they're not showing yeah. Snake Eyes' face. He's wrapping it up in bandages. That's to disguise the fact that actually his face is undamaged when he's then proposing to Scarlet. You can see his face. That is his real face. It's, it's undamaged. And here now when uh, we see him, he's not wearing a mask um, because uh, we can tell that because he has got a scar on his unmasked face from where he was slashed by uh, Storm Shadow, which I guess makes that injury from Storm Shadow uh, slightly more egregious because it isn't just another scar on his face. This is a, uh, the, the one imperfection to his otherwise beautiful face. Poor guy just can't win. <laughs> he can't get a break. Nah. I've got I've got one more little like storytelling thing that doesn't quite work for me. On page thirteen, the Joes are now uh knocking on a second door of a parent whose kid uh they're investigating. And uh this dad opens the door. What do you want? Who are you people? And he's holding a shotgun. And uh, Snake Eyes in the next panel sort of reacting and CoverGirl has her hands up like, whoa, 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 uh, it's okay. And then then they're stepping into the house in the final panel and uh, Spirit has his like hand, his arm around the dad's like shoulders, which is way too familiar. It's like, don't, don't touch that man you've never met before. Um, but says, I'm sorry, uh, I've been a wreck all week. The cops quit pulling surveillance on the house yesterday and it's got... Uh, my nerves firing on all cylinders. And Snake Eyes is, I think the idea here is Snake Eyes is looking back out the open doorway to make sure they're not being followed or just to take a last peek. And Snake Eyes is holding the shotgun and is emptying the shotgun of its shells. And I don't quite know, I think Snake Eyes is emptying the weapon so it's not loaded. And I don't know a lot about shotguns. You have to have it upside down. Can you get all four shells out in one pump? I appreciate the attempt here to do a very like G.I. Joe thing, a very specific thing with a very specific weapon um, to render it more or less effective. But the drawing here is just anemic and and I don't I don't fully understand what's happening. You got it. I think I think that's exactly what um, I, I mean, the storytelling is not great. Uh, but that's yeah, that's what's happening. Uh, the dad seems to acquiesce really quickly. That's the thing. Uh, hit and his character. There's another another scene later where you just think that's not the right reaction that he should have. But um, yeah, to your question about shotgun, it doesn't have to be up and down to, to empty it. it. It can be any way. You just have to pump that. They they go one at a time. You're not going to do four at a time. I didn't even realize that's what was going on in that panel. Um, I just thought. Why is Snake Eyes holding the gun now all of a sudden? It, it seems like there's a at least one panel that's missing there. You're right, Spirit wouldn't. Uh, and it goes back to like the first the first scene with Spirit kind of flirting with Cover Girl. That's not something that Spirit would do. Uh, he's also and, and not going to put his arm around a stranger. And Cover Girl puts her hands on the previous mom's shoulders in the previous scene where they're investigating the previous kid who's missing. Yeah. It's like, stop touching people, everyone. <laughs> and why aren't you wearing masks? Ah, it's the before times. Like I said, there was a spot where um, 
the guy walks in the room and the, and, and the Joes are in the second in uh, Alexander's room and he walks in and he's like, uh, officers, uh, agents, my wife, I called her, her cell phone and there was screaming, some struggle and, and we lost contact. Dude, no, he'd be like yelling. He, he would be showing ex- probably some kind of, you know, if not necessarily extreme emotion uh, or or physical movement. He's not just going to be standing there with his eyes bugged out. And then the very next panel or the, the first panel on the next page, again, he's just kind of standing there like, what do you want on this pizza? I mean, it's the storytelling's not good in those in those spots. I think back to uh, a drawing that John Buscema drew in How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. There's a page in this book where Stanley and John Buscema have uh, it's like um, James Jonah Jameson yep. is on the phone, and then um, uh, was it Doctor Doom crashes through the wall, and then some Avengers are there. I forget. But it's it's six panels of continuity with no dialogue or narration, and it's all well drawn and clearly told. But there's no um, oomph to it. And yep. then, and he draws it a second time where he tips the camera up. He tips the camera down. He has like Doctor Doom, not just like with one raised or JJJ, not with just one raised fist, but like he's sort of like thrusting himself off of his desk as if to pound the desk. Yeah, more um, gesturing. That in, in comics you exaggerate. And, and there's no exaggeration here. Yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, obviously, you know, most people our age probably have that book. I've had a couple of different copies of it. Uh, but yeah, it's and it's like I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to bust on Sealy too much. You know, uh, like Mark mentioned, they wanted him to do the book initially. And I think it was Sealy himself, wasn't it, who said, I don't think mm-hmm. I'm ready for that yet. He maybe still was not quite ready. His art's not bad. It's just not where it needs to be. And this, you know, this is a fill-in. This is him in between the the new main artist Brandon Bado uh, doing doing one issue, and I guess getting a you know, his first taster of GI Joe. And I, I'm I'm prepared to give him a bit of a pass on on this one. That yeah, poor dad. He's a uh, you know somewhat in shell shock. He's uh he's drinking. He's not all uh he's not all there. And uh, and yeah. We finally I can, I, can, have... I can follow it. It's you know, it's maybe not the most elegant storytelling or execution, but uh, but it, I don't think it disrupts the flow too much. Yeah, there were no parts when I didn't understand what was going on. I missed some things, like Snake Eyes emptying the shotgun, um, but you know, I didn't ever have to go back to the previous page and say, did I miss a panel or did I skip a page? And with other issues, we've had to do that. I don't know if if Blaylock had the time. I don't think he had the inclination by issue sixteen. But I think this might have benefited from his layouts. If uh, I if agree, Seely had been drawing on top of Blaylock's um, more of his poses um, in the final in the final scene on the second to last page. We finally. I feel like this is something that the three of us have been building towards. We finally see Snake Eyes standing next to Spirit in his new costume that looks like a Snake Eyes costume. <laughs> yeah. And so we have it's you know it's one thing if all the Joes are lined up and Snake Eyes is somewhere else or in his civilian clothes and Spirit is in his all black costume, which I don't think is different enough from a Snake Eyes costume. It's another thing if the two of them are not only standing in the same panel together, uh, Snake Eyes' arm is actually in front of and overlapping 
spirit. And I think this is a, uh, again, I'm still surprised that uh, people who voted on Facebook, uh, more of them liked, yeah, more of them liked Spirit's Snake Eyes-ish costume than not. But, you know, it's, it's more, some more, some more distinction. I think this panel is, is, is evidence for my, for my argument from a couple weeks back. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, any other things to call out before we go into Ice Spy? I feel like if Hannibal were a, a, a real bad guy, uh, and, and by that I don't just mean I'm one of the bad guys, I mean uh, like a evil, you know, almost sociopath. Uh, he's getting ready to drop the mom over the cliff, and then the car pulls up. They're right on the cliff, man. He could have just pushed that lady over. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would have been like, whoa, he just, you know, but now the Joes come in time and they save her. But uh, yeah, maybe, I, maybe we're not quite to the G.I. Joe Cobra number three kind of shocking violence yet. Mm-hmm. I, I think the point, uh, the point I'm taking from this observation, Jay, is that the teenager isn't fleshed out enough that though the story isn't rushed at, all. at the end. Right, right. Though that the story isn't rushed at the end, because some previous Devil's Due stories have been rushed by the final two pages. I think this character is rushed. Yeah, I feel like this could have just been any character. It could have been, uh, you know, like the guys in black suits that we saw in the last story arc. Uh, I mean, you know, the, it could the, have just been nameless. The know. scene with the the scene with the jugglers does try to set it up, right? That. Yeah. And that adds you know, to the kind of mystery you're like, well, what part do they have in this? Uh, remember the young boy we tried that with? Uh, he, he'd he appear to be 16 or 17 now. Right. So obviously we're led to believe that this is that character. Yeah. And, and yeah. appear is um, in bold as well. He'd appear to be 16 or 17 now. Suggesting mm. that he isn't 16 or 17, but that's the age that he would appear to look like. So, you know pointing towards some some sort of accelerated clone technology or something along those uh those lines perhaps trickery and chicanery i think he's uh i think he's an intern for dr mindbender's lingering dental practice and he's lied about his, <laughs> he's lied about his age right he's actually 25 but to get the teenage high school internship <laughs> right he's like well i look so young dr mindbender <laughs> okay I spy, I spy with, with my, my little eye. I spy on Optimus page... Prime sitting on a bookshelf. That's the one I was going to do. <laughs> but, he's, he's, but he's colored. I'm going to go a step further. He's colored like blades. He's colored like the red and white Protectobot uh, Autobot who's a helicopter. Is that it or is he colored like no. Ultra Magnus? No. I forget what color Ultra mm. Magnus was. Yeah, I spy on the bookshelf next to the Transformer that uh, all of the books are um, on, sort of uh, stacked in the wrong way. So uh, lettering should flow down from top to bottom uh, in uh, Western uh, uh, English-speaking uh, book spines. So if you were to stack them with uh, with the letters running from bottom to top, that would be because the the cover would be on the left upside down and, and yeah, the kids uh, 10 we'll let him have it <laughs> i i spy on the next page that firewall is wearing a pink t-shirt with the gem logo gem who is truly outrageous and whose fashion and music are contagious which is further <laughs> echoing or uh, illustrating that she has no taste uh, back on the kids bed there's like a little uh, caesar st- 
like a like a plush mm-hmm. um, oh that's what that is yeah. okay yeah almost like the little caesar's guy but um oh pizza pizza yeah and there's a lot of little things and, like oh, that on um on that same same panel on the bottom left there's um like a roman helmet yeah the helmet and the, and the tank okay. and there's a helicopter on the thing um Oh yeah, I think. Uh, what's the? Oh yeah, and the poster in that bedroom behind the mom. It says "Flags of the World," and there's some little rectangles under it. Huh. And then to the right of her shoulder, above the bed, it looks like uh, some Romans on the right, or some soldiers on the left. Some kind of meeting or a surrender is being brokered. I. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's got to be some kind of um, an actual thing that he's. Yeah, certainly Blaylock's. Uh, certainly Blaylock's script here would have mm-hmm. called out five or ten items to yeah, populate mm-hmm, this bedroom mm-hmm. uh, that are much smaller and more subtle than the book the book titles that we're going to see in the next And of uh, course panel. Risk is like a military strategy board game kind of thing. So yeah, it's it, there's a lot of, a lot of neat little things in here. Um, this isn't an I spy. This is a. This is a. Can you guys clarify this for me? So that that's the the second scene where they're interviewing a parent about um, a missing kid, and they're in the second kid's bedroom, and um, CoverGirl's sitting on the kid's bed. Also, which you wouldn't do. Snake Eyes is standing there, and uh, Spirit is looking at a drafting table with some t- paper taped to it, and. Uh, CoverGirl says, well, at least this one isn't as creepy as the last kid's room. His mother obviously has more to do with the decoration. And then uh, Spirit says, still, this boy draws the same bizarre pictures that Snake Eyes saw in Julius's sketchbook. I believe you used your silent ninja paper ripping tactics on that one. And then CoverGirl says, funny. And I read that and I thought, is this a joke? I don't understand it. And I went back to that previous scene where the mom has brought them into the kid's bedroom and Snake Eyes sees an unusual drawing on a pad. And, okay, I, th- I think I know what this is. That panel where CoverGirl has her hands on the mom's shoulder mm-hmm. and she's trying to reassure the mother. The mother doesn't see that Snake Eyes is actually swiping that that piece of paper from the kid's pad. So, yeah. so he's either, like, removing evidence from not a crime scene, but it's, he's stealing something from the kid's room. So, okay, so... So Spirit is telling the audience that's reading the comic all right, that, that that didn't quite click for me the first time. Yes, I, did, yeah, I it, didn't understand sort of why the why the jokey name like Silent Ninja Paper Ripping Tactics. Yeah, I just thought it was okay. a bad so, joke. <laughs> so Snake Eyes right. is you know obviously just you know taken the paper while uh, while the back's turned and you know yoinked it. But uh, I didn't yeah, think that that was something because... that needed to be done. You know, with subterfuge. I mean, why would they have to act like that was something that he snuck out of there? But yeah, I think spirit is just spirit's just pointing out that 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 he can't he can't just do it in a and just you know he can't just take the paper he has to do it in a stealthy ninjury way. You know, so if they'd asked the mom, I'm sure she would have said yes. Since they For didn't, sure. the plot point ends up being like the stealthy thing. Um, okay. Yes. I'm Sorry. Needed, back though. to back to I Spy. I spied Detective Kirkland. So I just wondered whether that might be a little Easter egg reference to Boyd Kirkland, G.I. Joe storyboard artist. I don't know how common a surname that is. Or is is James Kirkland someone that one of the devils do people knew or like a fan? 
could be. It seems, uh, yeah, it, it must be something. I don't think that would be pinched out of the air. Okay, did anyone have any errors detected? Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. So I'll uh, I'll go with the one that I spotted. So the very very last page of the issue, we have Doctor Mindbender in his uh, ha ha final moment. Now he will come to us, and his top lip lip is coloured white as if to make uh, two uh, two you know sets of teeth coming together. Um, that should be coloured flesh tone with the teeth. Beneath it, you can see his gums and stuff on the um, uh, sitting beneath the uh, the lip. Um, you know, petty. I know, but even I can get petty about coloring too. Some You're right, though. I totally just read that as top and bottom teeth. And I think I think it would, it, yeah, it would be, it would look better executed. I think with, mm -hmm. uh, with it being, since uh, teeth. Since we've talked about the cover and the back cover, we should talk about the one and a half pinups in the issue. Mm -hmm. So we've got the new G.I. Joe pit. Um, I don't um, know that they should have bothered. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Kind of inspiring. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's an apt review. So for those of you not holding the comic in front of you, you get to the final page. There's this two-thirds splash of Dr. Weinbender um, rubbing his hands together. He's underlit. Now he will come to us. Um, good, exciting uh, uh, ending. And then you turn the comic sideways. Uh, it's mostly black. There's sort of this green grid, like tech effect. Um, and there's uh, just sort of like a big like room with uh, a couple of copy and paste, like sort of uh, technically drawn uh, tanks, these little white lines uh, and uh, a couple call outs like exit to main elevator shaft and staging area and uh, fire disposal equipment. Um, oh, OK. And in the top right, there's a key which shows that this is level one mm -hmm. below the surface and that there are four more levels below it, which I guess this maybe we'll get in future issues. Yes, um, four more uh, underwhelming splashes of the schematics of the pit to- Yeah, this, this has nothing <laughs> on the, so that, you know, the schematic of the pit from issue one, uh, which gets reprinted in yearbook one, uh, which gets updated some years later. And I, I don't remember the IDW issue, but sometime like three, two years ago, the Joes are talking through the layout of the new pit. And it was like a Shannon Gallant redraw of like a new Larry Hamas schematic. Yep. Um, this is not that. And then two pages of letters and then a uh, a full page Zanya pinup um, penciled by Tim Seeley. And inked by inked by Tim Seeley, um, and there seems to be a signature for the colorist, but I I mean it's probably hi-fi. Anyway, uh, a lot of green. Uh, background's way too busy. Uh, way too many um, like highlights and shadows on this, as if as if she's standing in a studio for a photographer with a like tarp behind her and the tarp has printed on it an image of this uh, uh <laughs> swamp and they're like they're like umbrella studio photographer lights 
like three feet above her to the right and left behind the camera. Uh, I like the drawing. I like that she's holding a funny prop. I like that there's an alligator. Uh, the the color way overdone. Yeah, the color washes a lot of it out. I, I, I'd like to see it in black and white. I mean, not that I think it's spectacular, but when you when you add that much, it just. And this is just issue sixteen. It's nothing, you know. It's not some sort of particular celebration issue or anything like that. So it's nice that they are, you know, making the effort to be including some of these little extras like the uh, the pit page. You know, even if it's a little underwhelming. And this this splash page, and they've they've done a they've done a couple of others ones uh, that we've not particularly called out. There was one of Roadblocker earlier on in the uh, in the run, for example. Yeah. So yeah, it's maybe not the 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 most exciting but it's uh, it's nice that they're continuing to in, in invest and take the time to to add these little flourishes to the book because they they don't need to this issue is a full 22 pages plus two pages of letters plus the pit diagram plus the zanya pinup uh so uh this issue i guess has just a, a couple fewer ads for other mm-hmm. devils do and image comics um it's it's worth noting uh, if you've got the original comic book in front of you rather than a digital file or the paperback collection, uh, that uh, there are two there are two G.I. Joe ads, one for an, an upcoming issue of the spinoff and one for the next issue of the main monthly. There's a pinup for, uh, there's an ad, excuse me, for a Micronauts spinoff drawn by Steve Kurth, who we know from G.I. Joe. And there's an ad for uh, the Micronauts series that Devil's Due was publishing at the same time, which I have not been keeping up with sort of in the like original timeline of us reading these Devil's Due G.I. Joe comics. And at this point, they're advertising issue seven of -hmm. Micronauts, and it's drawn by Stefano Caselli, who a couple years later takes over G.I. Joe. Mm. Um, And then there's uh, on the inside back cover, there's a teaser ad for the first devils do gi joe transformers crossover yeah june 2003 so i think this issue was march 2003 so a few months away very good um let's see what else did um did you have any favorite line of dialogue that you wanted to call out quote of the week quote of the week I can't think of anything in particular that stood out to me as as far as uh, good dialogue. We've pointed out, you know, a couple spots of bad dialogue. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's, but let's nah, do... nothing that that really, you know. Uh, this this isn't an amazing line of dialogue, but I did appreciate this because I by page five i sort of thought why are the joes on this mission this isn't for them and this is before the scene with the jugglers where it's 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 more hinted at but they're they're interviewing this local cop and uh and he he's not sure why they're there right it's just a like, standard missing kid or kidnapping mm-hmm. and cover girl whispers to snake eyes and spirit if we're involved you can bet this case is anything but oh he's just the cop has just said it's a standard case. And Covergirl says, if we're involved, you can bet this case is anything but standard. Uh, I like that uh, all three ways that you can show that someone is whispering, uh, all three all three good ways that you can show that someone is whispering in comics. I'm not going to mention the bad way yet. Uh, the word balloon is smaller. 
the lettering is smaller. Uh, and also, there's also a, a dashed line around the word balloon rather than a solid line. Uh, modern comics sometimes have whispers in gray, like the black outline and the lettering is not black, but gray. And I feel like half the time I, it's not, um, it's not clear enough, but, uh, I, I actually, I, I, at this point in the story, I needed someone to say, uh, oh yeah, something is going on. Cause this is not a normal GI Joe story. Cool. So, uh, yo, Joeage, I'll start. I enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed it more so than the, uh, the last one. I liked the sense of it doing something new and different and building this plot and intrigue that is something new to this book that, uh, is kind of uh, unexplored ground and, and yeah, the devil's due era being something different um, and different in a good way. So um, yeah, um, looking forward to, to the continuing, uh, continuing issues in part, yeah, due to the breadcrumbs that have been dropped down here. So uh, I will go in with a seven. So, you know, I gave the last arc a seven um, and a lot of that was due to uh, Bado's artwork and the fact that he's not here this time is is really what's going to drag the score down for me. Uh, like I said, I did enjoy this issue. Um, I think that it's interesting and uh, it makes me want to read the next issue. But as far as there, there were a lot of panels in um, issue 15, like I said, that I, as I was reading it, I would just stop and think, wow, that's really good. You know, how, how, uh, how he did that. That's a nice angle. Uh, his shadows are really nice there. His figure work is really nice there. There's um, there is no instance of that in this book. And, you know, comic books are a, a visual medium. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to I don't want to say subpar because, like I said, Seeley's not a bad artist. He's just inexperienced at this point. But I can't go from um, an issue that caught my eye several times to one that is just adequate so um six for me okay and tim uh, uh five okay uh, seems to be the pattern yeah <laughs> i mean it's I, didn't, I gave the last arc a five as well right um mm -hmm. this is uh it's mostly the art uh you know i, I, I continue yeah, it to really takes like, away from it you know, and I should say, I, I don't think I liked anything Hi-Fi was coloring in 2003. And and this style of color, you know, like like uh, Chris Sotomayor at Marvel, uh, Richard and Tanya Hori on Superman at DC, like the Ed McGinnis issues around 2003. Like, I don't like this kind of coloring. So it's not just like Hi-Fi bad, Hi-Fi bad. Um, and I've, I've already said plenty about the art. Uh, Seeley will get better. Uh, he's never going to get too amazing for me. Um, five, maybe in a couple weeks, I'll feel like this is a four, but it's fine. <laughs> okay, very good. I might um, think less of it as time goes by. <laughs> That's what I hear Tim saying. Uh, I mean, I, I thought that way about uh, some of the... Yes, I think sometimes in the moment I might be too generous. Mm-hmm. There's a nitpick. <laughs> well, because, you know, think about think about how much your favorite comics. I don't even mean like your favorite series, like a good issue of your favorite series. I mean, like your. it's like if if you know that if you're going to kick the bucket 
in a month and you're like, I'm going to reread some of my favorite comics. I'm going to like stay up a little late. I'm going to like skip work. You know, I'm going to eat some candy bars, whatever it is. It's like, (laughs) this is so far from that. Oh, yeah. You know, like this is this is just a step past uh, capable. Well, it's it's like like you said last time. Is it something that you would recommend to somebody? No. Yeah. Like this issue isn't not not without more of the story. Right. At Um, least. uh, let me let me find that I've got I forgot there was I had a nitpick on the cover spirit is looking at this piece of paper spirit's head is in front of the logo his hand is in front of his head and yet the piece of paper he's holding is behind the logo and I get the sense that either Devil's Do and IDW have been in the last 20 years cautious about putting anything in front of the G.I. Joe logo type on the cover or Hasbro a different person at different times that Hasbro may have said like, no, you can't, or you have to get special permission. Mm. And it happened pretty often, not, not like horrendously or, or significantly in the Marvel run, but that piece of paper that spirit's holding sure needs to be in front of the E and the blue stripe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just running exactly parallel to the bottom line of the logo. <laughs> <laughs> so. That would be a different problem I would have. Yeah. Yeah, tangents. Ah. Okay, very good. That's it. I think we're all wrapped up with talking about issue 16. Um, So we can talk about something else. J, 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 with a toy Nophia, talking G.I. Joe collectibles. It's a favorite figure, let's pull the trigger. Three and three quarter inch or bigger. J, 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 J. Now, when, uh, again, Mark and I were talking about this issue before, uh, a couple days ago maybe, and he said, uh, suggested that I do um, a comic pack, comic pack number 16, that was released in 2006. Um, in 2006, Hasbro and Devils do announced a Fans Choice Comic Pack poll, which allowed fans to vote on their favorite uh, figure or comic book combinations that would be produced. I'm not sure what the options were, um, but the one that won apparently was this one. And it was a three pack of figures with Spirit, Cover Girl, and on the package it actually says Hannibal Reborn. Like that's the character's name. Um, now, Mark told me about this package before I read the issue, so I really didn't know anything about it. I, t- I said, uh, I don't know who this guy is. I've never read uh, these issues, so I don't know what, what I'm getting into. And Mark said, don't read his file card. So I didn't. So we're not going to even talk about that character. Um, also included in the pack is the spirit figure in the Snake Eyes cosplay. I've already expressed my dislike of that redesign, so that's a discussion for another day. Um, that brings us basically to Cover Girl. Cover Girl's always been one of my favorite Joes. Uh, in fact, when I was a kid, I actually had two Cover Girls figures or two Cover Girl figures because um, one year, um, both of my grandparents on on my dad's side and my mom's side uh, gave me the Wolverine for Christmas. I didn't care. I thought that was really cool. Uh, that meant I had 24 missiles instead of 12 and uh, two Cover Girls. And I think in my continuity, you know, that was going on in my head, I kind of used them as twins, although I don't ever recall giving one of them a a different name or or an identity of her own. Uh, It just seemed like there were always two Wolverines. Uh, 
Now, the original CoverGirl was released in 1983, like I said, along with the Wolverine, which is uh, for anyone unaware, and I can't imagine who that would be. The Wolverine's kind of a, a flat tank with like a big missile array on top of it. Uh, her first appearance was in Real American Hero number 16 from October of 1983, uh, where she battled Cobra alongside her fellow Joes during a battle at the Treasury Building in Washington. Uh, she made a few appearances in the comic over the years, but she was rarely one of the main characters. Uh, she appeared in a few issues or a few episodes of the Sunbow cartoon, um, and there was a girl referred to as Cover Girl in the credits uh, of 2009 film Rise of Cobra, which was killed by Zartan. I say that because that was just a terrible way to you know waste a character. She had one scene; she got stabbed in the back. Come on, just. She's a red shirt in that. It's ridiculous. Uh, now, to my surprise, according to Yojo, and like I said, we don't have a whole lot to talk about here. There are only four official cover girl figures ever made. And that includes one that was made in 2013, um, thanks to the G.I. Joe Collectors Club figure service. Now, from the original 1983 file card, this gets into something that Mark alluded to a couple different times. File name, Courtney Krieger, grade E4, birthplace, Peoria, Illinois. Primary specialty armor, secondary specialty AFV mechanics. Don't know what that is. Uh, CoverGirl was a high school or was a high fashion model in Chicago and New York prior to enlistment. Grew disillusioned with modeling and enlisted to put new direction in her life. Attended armor school at Fort Knox and related tech schools. Proficient in diesel mechanics, gas turbine technology, qualified expert, law rocket, dragon, AT missile, MT or M16 and M1911A auto pistol cover girl finds she must work against her beauty to prove herself she's compelled to learn and master decidedly unfeminine disciplines her self-assurance and stunning good looks reduce most men to stuttering fools the original cover girl figure had a, a brown jacket tan shirt and pants tall uh, brown knee-high boots that had kind of an odd um, squarish toe on them her hair was uh, short and kind of reddish brown in color I've seen a lot of people online and um, in different podcasts and things say that they thought that this was one of the ugliest figures ever produced and, and that it kind of really didn't live up to the, the cover girl idea. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, maybe the head was a little too large for the body, but I think that uh, the designers were still trying to work out how to really make a good female face in this scale. Mm -hmm. If you look I mean, at the Scarlet figure that was released in the first wave, she had a much simpler face sculpt. Then cover yeah, I mean, girl. Neither neither Scarlet nor Cover Girl could yeah. you know, that that original V one sculpt could really be called, you know, a beauty, really yeah. to be fair to it. But I don't think that they were necessarily ugly either. I mean they're just kind of plain. Um now the figure that's in the cover girl figure that's released in this three pack is a pretty good update of the original figure design. She still has a brown leather jacket, a tan shirt and pants. Everything has been slightly tweaked to appear a little more modern and stylish now um unlike the original figure the original uh, cover girl the jacket was real tightly sculpted it was just part of her figure and on this figure it's removable it's one of the ones where it's kind of like the jacket is is a vest um so when you take the jacket off the sleeves still are brown and i think that's kind of weird looking it doesn't doesn't really work for me i think they should have just left it as part of her part of the original sculpt the head sculpt is dramatically different than the original 83 figure the original cover girl like i said had short reddish brown hair uh, this figure has kind of long sandy blonde hair 
and they have tried to soften the facial features up a little bit. But I think that even in 2006, they still had a way to go before they were actually able to, to create an actual um, attractive female face sculpt. Uh, other than that, there's a couple new items included with the 2006 figure. She has a pistol um, and uh, sculpted on the figure are dog tags, which the original one didn't have. Uh, bottom line, is it a good figure? It's not one that I'm going to try to track down. You know, like I said, I, I do like CoverGirl. I think she's uh, was always a good character, but not one that I would feel compelled to seek out every version of, which, like I said, there's only four, so it wouldn't be hard to do. But it's <laughs> not, yeah, it's just not that great of a figure. Um, like I said, in, you know, in 2006, they still had a ways to go with a lot of these, mm. uh, you know, with a lot of their, their, their manufacturing techniques. And I thought the, the really... Uh, having a fan poll and choosing this issue in particular uh, to be the one that would, would win and that fans would say, yeah, make a, make a three pack figure set from that. Mm-hmm. That, that baffled me, you know, as much as people liking the, uh, the spirit. Yeah. Well, I, and guess, the Snake Eyes cosplay. Yeah, I guess we, we, I guess we only ever had the V one uh, cover girl in 1983. So this update in 2006 for a, for a second version of the figure was uh probably somewhat overdue and you know trying to capture some of that um more glamorous side of of cover girl but uh more than that uh the other character involved being uh spirit who had that outfit that everybody loves uh the majority everybody the, except the, the guy doing the toy review spell, yeah so, uh, <laughs> so it was a it was a popular costume um that, it just to me is uninspired you know the original one call it what you will cultural appropriation <laughs> It had character, you know. And, yeah, the, and this this the, costume in black, it, it can just, be, it can be black. It just needs two more things. It needs something. It's just boring. I just want to uh, uh, refer to one thing that Jay mentioned. So the the character who shows up in GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra, who's referred to as Cover Girl, has sort of no dialogue and then is murdered right yeah. in front of us. Right. I don't. I also don't like that. Yep. Um, but and that was one of the four cover girl figures was the figure something of her from that, that I movie. Um, separate from the toy line uh, a small fact regarding that that I do appreciate is that the actor who yep. was cast to play cover girl Caroline and Carolina Krakova is a model yeah and though she has appeared a few times in TV and movies like acting she is a model and I appreciate it's like, well, we've got this Joe who's not going to do anything in this scene. And they, in the story, it's someone who's been a model, right? Let's cast someone attractive, right? I know lots of models get cast in movies and then they become actors that way. Um, so this is not like a revelation, but if it was some kind of nod or acknowledgement rather than a coincidence, I appreciate that. I mean, the treatment of that character in the movie is, is probably like number three or four in my list of 1,059 things wrong with the rise of Cobra. It's right up there. I mean, just, it could have been anyone. It could have just been a, a, like I said, a red shirt, a green shirt. Why take a character that does have some history and, you know, they make her a desk girl that gets killed. It's just so disrespectful for me. You know, I'm, I'm realizing in looking at this spirit iron knife figure, (laughs) <laughs> that shows up in this three pack is a repaint yeah. of the 2005 
It's a green uh, one. Spirit figure. Yeah, who's who's all in green. And I had never put this together because I was not paying attention to the toy line that much in 05. And I was not paying attention to the comic at, at you know, in this first, in this second and third year of Devil's Due, that um, this green 2005 spirit figure uh, is the Devil's Due design, just with different colors. The way that the bandolier, I mean, he's got one or two details in addition, but the way that the bandolier is over his chest. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. The, uh, yeah, yeah. His, uh, his, his knee pads and his very tall uh, lace-up boots. And so um, to the extent that, I mean, I, you know, Kamakura shows up in the comic and then he gets a figure. So to the extent that Devil's Due is directly or indirectly influencing the toy line around 2001 to 2006. Um, I, I always forget that besides sort of the obvious, like Kamakura got a figure, people like him. <laughs> One last thing I'll say about about CoverGirl, um, like I said, there have only been, including the the fan service figure, four, uh, four figures, and I think that the fandom recognizes that as a lacking, and so you can find a lot of really nice custom cover CoverGirl figures uh, online. I found uh, two or three in particular that blew every Hasbro figure away. I mean, you know some. There's some some really talented customizers out there uh, that do nice work, and um, you know I just think put those people on the Hasbro payroll. Go for it. <laughs> oh, so uh, thank you, Jay. Uh, good to to talk about uh, that comic pack. Um, I remember it uh, coming out back in the day. Uh, so let's move on to everyone's favorite segment. It's Inuendo. <laughs> Attention, at this moment you are now listening to a Talking innuendo If you are offended by words like Sucking Flesh wound Willy Pete Balls Crystal balls Hypno shield Whatever Take the tape out now This is not a pop album And by the way Suck my Grandmother's brick in a Prada handbag so a reminder that if you're in the right frame of mind, particularly a dirty frame of mind, then uh, <laughs> G.I. Joe names can sound a little bit uh, sniggerful, which is a word. Um, and uh, so, so what we do here is, <laughs> is, uh, is ch- challenge, uh, have a savage challenge. Can I get through a list of five slightly dirty sounding G.I. Joe names without making either of my co-hosts titter? Can I get through um, one? Or indeed, indeed, past one. Um, <laughs> so uh, you're both ready, unmuted, good, ready to begin. G.I. Joe, Dick Animation. What? Horror Show. The Mass Device. Which I imagine is a pump at some Special Missions Brazil Python Patrol Which I imagine is a girls' night out. That's five. Okay, nothing. <laughs> I was I was smiling for four of those five. Oh, I was biting my tongue. Come on. You, you almost got me on Dick Animation. Device. What? Well, that, yeah, almost got me on that. You, but that's not how you say it. But that's how I did when I was a kid. Uh 
uh, I thought Special Missions Brazil was good because it's so vague, mm. it's so open to interpretation. Yeah. Whereas the mass device is not. <laughs> Again, I just think of uh, Austin Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. Austin Powers. This sort device. of thing's not my bag, baby. One book. <laughs> yeah. One book. This thing's my bag. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> excellent well done credit to you um i you know i wrote Tim. these i wrote I, you know i dug these out wrote them down read them in advance am rereading them and still can't quite manage to keep a straight face so um, <laughs> how you do it uh is, he's is, making the list going this will get him <laughs> i know this will be the one jail crack i've got one on my list which i'm thinking yes i'm really proud of that one but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> so so, uh, so that that was uh, that was that, and uh, and I think we're all done. So uh, next time on Talking Joe Disavowed, we will be back in two weeks' time to be covering Devil's Due issues seventeen to nineteen, which is a three-parter called The Cabal. Uh, now, just then- real quick, does that? You know, don't I don't want you to spoil too much, but does that kind of continue this storyline? Um, I think this pl- that that plays more into that Baroness subplot where she was. Oh, OK. Um, I'm, but yeah, I've not read it in a long time, so I don't know exactly what is uh, included. So, uh, yeah, it will be uh, be fairly new to me because I've almost entirely forgotten the plot of some of these. Um, and then hopefully with shipping dates and, and whatnot, uh, we'll be back covering uh, ARA issue 281, which uh, is the start of the all new arc post uh, post those specials that we've been seeing. So it is so Murder by Assassination Part 1, a brand new arc and a brand new character. In the aftermath of the chaotic events of Snake Hunt, the Joes are in a tough spot with the brass in Washington, D.C., Called to testify before a confidential subcommittee intent on investigating the off-the-books mission, a small group of Joes find themselves embroiled in an entirely different kind of investigation. The murder mystery kind. Living legend Larry Hammer and superstar artist Andrew Griffiths are on board, as well as a brand new Joe whose origin will be seen for the first time. Codename Sherlock. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. Uh, You can find us on all of the usual places, talkingjoe.co.uk. Our website has all of those places. So links to the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube accounts, as well as contact details for email and Patreon, which can also be found patreon.com slash talkingjoe. So big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, and Jay, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive Patreon-only content. Phew. You can find the guys in their normal places. Tim can be found at... a realamericanbook.com And G.I.J. can be found... Uh, on Facebook... Look for me under Jay Cordray or Break Room Sketches. And yeah, do head on over to our uh, Facebook page for Talking Joe if you've uh, not uh, yet done so. And get involved in all of the discussion uh, there, including possibly a return for our listeners' questions. Woo! I like a discussion over there sometimes. 
yeah it's a it's a good bunch of guys and uh yeah lots of uh, interesting uh li- you know comments feedback sjub7 calling me out on the mistakes that i made all good stuff <laughs> <laughs> so when all is said and done you can catch us down the road because we've been talking joe and we're all out of joes laters <laughs>